Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to what is just continues to be a very strange uh, and historic time. We have our full panel with us, which means Claire Zauke is with us. Claire is our healthcare director. She is safely at home. Claire, good to have you. Hi, thanks. Good to be here. Yes, and Robert Craig, our executive director, is with us. Robert, good to have you. Yes, good day to our digital and radio audience. So we are going to cover a number of topics. We will be joined, as we have been in the last few weeks, with a couple of state legislative candidates from the Milwaukee area this time. We'll, we'll be joined later uh, by Jacob Milanowski and Jessica Katzenmeyer. We'll talk more later. Uh, but we're going to spend our first couple of segments with a lot of the news that has been going on this week, and it continues to be a lot of news. And we're going to start with the COVID crisis because it is, you know, it has not subsided. We continue to be in the worst section of this crisis that uh, the state has uh, been since it started. We continue to have uh, fairly regularly over 2,000 new cases a day on our and, and have a rolling average, seven-day rolling average over that. Um, and Claire, I wanted to start with you. Governor Evers this week uh, put out a new uh, recommendation or uh, uh, I, I, it's not an ordinance. It's like a resolution or uh, I forget, an order essentially uh, that businesses and all uh, restaurants and inside, we need to be at 25%. Claire, let us give us an update on both the state of where we're at, but also uh, Evers' response this week. Wisconsin continues to be, as it has in the last few weeks, uh, making national news about being one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, place for the virus by certain measures in the country. Um, and uh, I think that is certainly one of the things that prompted Governor Evers to, to take this new step by um, implementing some new restrictions on, or re-implementing perhaps you could say restrictions on um, restaurants and bars. So I would say that uh, we should, when you, when you ask why is this necessary, I would point to a couple things. Um, one, I would point to the fact that uh, we are having something like 2,300 new cases a day at this point, and um, that is a, a shockingly high number of new cases. Um, also, according to DHS, something like 17% uh, of um, pe all people who've been tested now um, have tested positive, which is, again, about the highest that it's ever been. Um, and so it, it really is becoming clear that this virus is uh, just running rampant through our state and is out of control. And so um, I know that folks um, don't want to face additional restrictions, especially as, especially as we head into winter, um, but that's precisely why, why we need them. Um, I, I'm glad that these restrictions across the state will be in place, um, especially, like I said, as we head into winter when folks might be uh, tempted to, to come inside and eat inside in restaurants um, where it's just not safe right now. Robert, what do you think? Oh, at the very minimum, Claire. And we're third worst. The Dakotas are worse, but they are pretty sparsely populated areas, the two Dakotas. Uh, and it's different in different parts of the state. And what's becoming very clear is this goes in waves. So when you hear your community has a lower 
uh, reproduction rate or infection rate. Uh, it'll be higher later. It kind of goes in these weird waves. And so we know the Northeast has been being hammered. Well, it's slowing a bit in Green Bay, but still spreading. It's big in the Fox Valley right now, but the I just bopped around all the counties. The biggest uh, reproduction rate right now is in uh, that, that's astronomical is in the North Woods and North Central Wisconsin, your Wausau, your Rhinelander. And we've heard reports of supper clubs being full and bar parking lots being full. So there you go, right? So you get it going, but it seems to burn through the population, then come back. So it's wave after wave, and you cannot ever uh, become complacent. And we've said this on Battleground Wisconsin multiple times. Uh, the Republican response in Wisconsin has been uh, malpractice. It is, it is killing people because they have done everything they can to undermine the state's response, a state response that has been meager and minimal in many ways. So you have Governor Evers, in my opinion, not trying to do enough and certainly not being clear enough about what a good policy would be, like laying out here is what a first class response would be and putting it in front of them and them going to court. They're still trying to, under, to, to get the Supreme Court to throw out uh, the mask mandate, which is not even heavily enforced, as we know. It's more of a norm. And so much more needs to be done. Truth is, it's way worse now in Wisconsin because there is no plan. That's what the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel editorialized. And that is not a, a radical uh, editorial board. It barely ever makes a stand like this. There is no plan. And he, they blame the Republicans much more, but Everts hasn't presented a plan either, whether his power is taken away or not. And so really it's worse than it was when we did the shutdown. And truth be told, if people will not voluntarily comply, if we cannot make limits on, on indoor, I don't know why bars are open at all, for example, unless it's outdoors. Indoor bars should not exist right now, I'm sorry. And we probably need a bailout for those bar owners and that costs money. That would be part of a plan. You don't just ask them to take the brunt. But it's worse than when we shut down. So if these other measures will not work, we will have to shut down again. And uh, Joe Biden's been being assaulted. They're claiming he wants to shut down. No, he's saying if the science demands it, you have to do it. And unfortunately, the combination of uh, of Republican malfeasance, which is killing people, and lack of compliance with science and the norms by a lot of the population is likely going to require a shutdown here and around the country, and that's devastating, so which it means you have to have the economic relief to back it up, something else that has not moved and that Trump has pulled the plug on. Yeah, yeah. I was going to, oh, Claire, you go. Yeah, I was going to say, Robert, um, I think you made a really important point that I want to reiterate, right, which is, and that we haven't mentioned explicitly yet in this conversation, although we have repeatedly on the show, is that our do-nothing legislature here could be doing something to help this situation and to create to pass an actual relief package and work with the governor and instead they want to obfuscate their own role in um, allowing this virus to spread rampant right and i think a perfect case is what you're talking about here what could be something like a restaurant and bar bailout um, bill so it's so instead of saying like, yeah, restaurants and bars need to close, but let's give some money to these small business owners so that they can continue to pay some employees and that they don't have to shutter their businesses. Um, instead, they, they say, oh, look, 
we're just gonna hide behind this you know imaginary curtain pretend like you can't see us and then i'm gonna point all my fingers at the governor and be like how could you do this to these poor business owners and totally obfuscate their own responsibility in um in having been able to do something but just choosing not to following up on this what's even more appalling is someone who works intensively on the elections right now and particularly these state legislative races um let me just say that a number of these republican candidates are actually running on their response to covid that they have somehow uh responded properly to covid when they've done virtually nothing robert i agree all they did is pass along the cares act money uh, and, and politicians are always willing and love to pass on money other people fought to get, like the House Democrats. That's where it came from, okay? It came from Nancy Pelosi. It's ironic. Look, I think Governor Evers, if I was advising him, and I'm decidedly not, other than through Battleground Wisconsin, and that would be, uh, think outside the box. If this is, if we have no power and it's all public norms, how do I communicate to scale? And I could, as governor, demand, I mean morally demand, that all of the TV stations in the state and all the radio stations air scientific public service ads that we will produce telling people why they have to wear masks, why they cannot gather indoors, why they have to abide by social distancing, why they have to quarantine if they've been exposed or if they're infected. Donald Trump wants to have a live debate. He is... Still, he is probably still shedding virus, though they're also trying to withhold when he had his last negative test. This is follow the leader. His followers, which is 41% of the public, according to the Marquette poll in Wisconsin, are following this norm and endangering everyone, not just themselves. So with that, we're going to talk more uh, about COVID, but we're also going to talk about the Marquette poll going to have to take a break here in a minute. Uh, but I do want to talk about the Marquette poll because not only does it have very interesting findings uh, that show the presidential race to essentially still be a, a five-point lead, uh, very close here in Wisconsin, uh, it also has interesting data related to what Robert and Claire were just talking about, and that's where the public opinion is on this. And, and we see the public is still very much with us and Evers on the idea of wearing masks and uh, trying to, to try to get COVID under control. And I think, Robert, what you're saying, using science and public education is, is actually a very powerful thing. And the polling would reveal that. But we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk more. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the election now, uh, and I wanted to get some comments on the Marquette poll, which uh, just came out yesterday on Wednesday. Again, the poll found uh, very little change. Uh, Biden up five points, which I think surprised people. A lot of people uh, expected to see maybe that margin grow uh, based on what happened last week and what, was what has happened in some released national polling. Uh, but we're still at five. Uh, I want to get thoughts on that. The other thing I want to uh, point out is uh, masks continue to be wildly popular. <laughs> um, and in most parts of the state, it's lowest ranking for support for wearing masks is 60% in most of the uh, uh, rural out outer parts of the state. But in just about every other area, you're well over 60, 70, even 80% in uh, some of the cities. 
Um, and also an interesting finding, the poll found over 50% believe it is going to take a year or longer to get COVID under control. So there is a growing sort of understanding that this is not something that is going to be solved by or after the uh, presidential election. Uh, thoughts on the poll, Claire? Any thoughts? Uh, were you surprised when you uh, saw the saw the results, uh, particularly on the presidential? I mean, the presidential numbers are um, pretty steady to what they have been, um, at, at least according to my memory for the past month or so. Um, of course, I'd wish that there had been um, a little bit more of a bump towards Joe Biden, um, especially since the debate and since uh, Trump's COVID diagnosis. Um, just uh, sort of showing the, uh, in a very real way, the uh, irresponsibility and recklessness of, of the White House, even amongst their own staff um, and leaders. Um, but you know, that uh, I think is something that is reflected in other questions, um, like the one that you pointed to um, with folks saying, you know, it's gonna take longer to get through COVID. Um, I think folks continue to be um, concerned about the way that uh, Trump has been handling the virus outbreak. Um, so I, I think that there are other questions in the um, in the poll that we can look to for um, some hope that Trump's support in the state might be softer um, than it initially looks in that sort of you know forty one percent level of support. Robert, uh, I, you are the noted poll lover here, uh, love the Marquette poll. Wanted to get your thoughts on on this uh, very question. Okay, so I'll give another one of my tutorials on polling. Uh, polls try to develop a representative sample of a very small subset of voters that's supposed to reflect all voters. And they are widely different based on their theory as to who will be the voters. We don't know who the voters will be in a pandemic. And we often don't know it even not in a pandemic, such as 2016. That's why all the polls were wrong in 2016, uh, because Feingold and, uh, and Hillary led in Wisconsin in every major poll, including Marquette, up to the last week. And there was never a poll showing them surging ahead. And so we know that there are national polls showing a 10-point lead in Wisconsin. And then we have uh, a much smaller margin in the Marquette poll. All that reflects most likely that there also can be various errors is they have a different theory of who is going to vote. And that is a theory. And so the answer is we don't know. It could be as close as Marquette says, and we better act like it is. It's that simple. Beyond that, you can't really plumb further, and we overstate and overanalyze these polls and act like they're actual elections. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good analysis. And let's remember the margin of error, right? There could still be movement from these. And it is worth pointing out, if you look in the poll a little closer, it does reflect that people were paying attention to what happened last week. By and large, most people felt Trump did poorly in the debate. Uh, Biden was viewed more favorably amongst independents, right? All of that, the traditional partisan breakdowns. I think the poll also reveals in what Robert's saying Right, like this is a fairly divided electorate and people kind of know where they're at. So like the notion that last week radically changed people who, st who were already undecided about Trump, uh, it, you know, clearly there's no evidence in that, even if they thought Trump was, had a rough week. Uh, and and so I the would, poll does reflect that he had a rough week, I'll just say. And I Robert? would say that the biggest factor is not necessarily the margin. It is whether Biden's over 50%. 
and this is one of the few polls where he's not, and that's more concerning. Uh, if he was over 50, I, it wouldn't matter as much that it was a closer margin. Yeah, and if you want to find where to be concerned around that, Robert, uh, the Libertarian is still at 4% in this poll. And in theory, you could argue that a lot of those votes, if they were to, in the end, go and consolidate, they're going to go to Trump, right, and more likely. And so that gets you to the dead heat of the race that we probably have. And that poll still has 8% undecided. So we're still in a race that's fluid. Those undecideds are still out there. And as Robert, as we talked about Who's going to show up? So get out there, folks. We have got to do the work of getting folks out to vote. That's really critical, Robert. And remember, close is bad, because if it's close, Trump can try to steal it. The legislature can try to name the electors. They can try to halt the counting of the mail ballots, which will come in later, and more Republicans will vote in person, as we know. So every, a lot of bad things happen, even if Biden wins close in Wisconsin. So we, we need to be such a margin that it can't be stolen. So I'm going to have to, we're going to have to change topics, although it's not much of a topic change, but I do want to get folks comments on last night's vice presidential debate. It's the only one we're going to have. Uh, again, we record on Thursday morning. Claire, how did you uh, think the debate went last night? Obviously, it was not the complete trash show that the <laughs> last week's debate was. Yeah, right. And I think that a lot of the narrative around this debate is going to be, oh, this is a normal, civil, more traditional exchange of ideas and disagreements. And um, that the fact that, um, you know, Mike Pence was uh, still somewhat of a mansplaining, over-talking person will get hidden just because it is so, so much uh, less severe than uh, Trump's behavior. Um, but uh, I will say I had a few big takeaways, um, which were that uh, one, uh, Mike Pence's uh, gaslighting and strongman arguments uh, were uh, sort of rampant throughout the entire debate. He would very often um, not answer a question himself and then turn to Senator Harris and ask her a question that was not part of the debate and then get mad when she didn't answer her question, even though he hadn't answered the actual question that was posed to him in the first place. Um, and he did this a couple times, um, you know, one when talking about um, the um, sort of the justices and um, whether, um, <laughs> um, whether he thought that, um, the Supreme Court should take on um, issues like, I think it was Roe v. Wade. Um, and he did it again when they were uh, supposed to be talking about uh, white supremacy, the premises comments on white supremacy, and tried to turn it into a discussion about Senator Harris's uh, role as uh, the Attorney General in California. Um, but the thing I want to talk about the most about what he did, because it just made me so mad, is that, and, it, and it is so, so common in um, Republican rhetoric, are these straw man arguments. And so I want to be able to talk about them so that when you hear them on the street and you're having conversations with people in the community about it, you can recognize these arguments. So these are arguments that sound like they are related to the topic at hand, but are actually not. They're false arguments. And so one of them was... Um, is that in the conversation about white supremacy, um, instead of um, instead of answering the question about you know, sort of will you condemn white supremacy and what is your reaction to what President Trump has said publicly, he went on this whole 
um, spiel about how, um, you know, President Trump doesn't have to condemn neo-Nazis. He has children and grandchildren that are Jewish, um, which is sort of like the ultimate straw man argument that, that, you know, white people in particular love to say, right? I, I can't be sexist. I love my mother. I have a strong mother. I have daughters. I can't be a misogynist or I, I can't be racist. I have black friends. I have brown friends. I can't be racist. I can't be anti-Semitic or a neo-Nazi because I have Jewish grandchildren. Um, and so it was a lot of that kind of stuff from Mike Pence. Robert, your thoughts. Uh, Claire, I would agree. I, I think uh, some of those may have flown beyond the radar last night. Robert, your thoughts on the debate. Well, I think Senator Harris did well under the circumstances and uh, definitely got what they needed, which was uh, Trump not getting any kind of bump out of it. In fact, uh, most uh, voters in, in exit polling that will watch it thought she won the debate outright. Uh, I do think it's important not to normalize uh, the, uh, the, the behavior of, of, uh, of Mike Pence uh, just because it doesn't seem more normal than Donald Trump. Because the willingness of an alleged moralist and religious ethicist to have multiple lies per sentence that he knows is a lie and do it with a straight, confident face is an outrage. And yes, Senator Harris had some of the usual political uh, trimming and pivoting. It's not the same thing. And I don't love that either, but it's a different order of magnitude. Second thing is, I'm really concerned that the mainline Democrats are afraid of things they shouldn't be afraid of. Why on earth are they running away from the Green New Deal? Uh, latest numbers I found online, 96% support among solid Dems, 88% among lean Dems, 64% among lean GOP, 32% among solid GOP. So why do Biden and Harris, because they're surrounded by conventional political consultants and because there are a lot of funders who don't want to do it, who fund the campaign, and so that we need to get Biden elected, but we need to understand the challenge afterwards that they're running away from things that they do not need to run away from. Robert, glad you said it. I would have otherwise. I thought it was a really important uh, takeaway from the event. But with that, we have got to go to a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Before we are joined by our first guest, uh, we have a couple of topics we want to quickly talk about. Um, first, uh, we want to mention what happened in uh, here in the Milwaukee area, and that is the around the Wauwatosa police. Uh, the policeman was not charged um, in the shooting uh, uh, here, I believe it was in February. And this is a big deal because yet again, we have a, another situation uh, where it appears we have another officer who's not being held responsible uh, for killing someone. And, and on the same day where uh, another investigator looked into it and suggested that the Wauwatosa police ought to fire this police officer. Robert, wanted to just get your thoughts on this. Uh, we will definitely talk more about this in future shows. Uh, but Robert, I wanted to at least make sure you had a chance uh, for some comments. Look, we're, I'm res we're responding in real time. And I'm not as close to it as the people on the streets who are, who are living this or the family uh, that's following this every day. Uh, but it looks to me like 
given the situation with uh, the, the man who was killed, having, having a firearm, discharging it, uh, that the unfortunate situation may well be, because I don't think the district attorney, John Chisholm, is some right-wing pro-Trump guy who just doesn't want to prosecute police, that unfortunately the laws say that if they have a reasonable fear for their safety, the police can shoot someone down. And this gets to a big question is, do DAs even have the discretion? Is it good to go through a case that you know you'll lose because of the law? Or do we understand that when we say it's structural racism, it means it's baked into the structure. And it's not only, we do have a problem with discretions of DAs and how they operate. That's clear in Kentucky in the Breonna Taylor case, for example. But you also sometimes have a situation where the DA uh, is, is by the book, follows the law, like John Chisholm does do in Milwaukee, and he just, that the structure ties his hands. And I know uh, DA Chisholm has actually advocated for having independent prosecution of all police and not have local DAs do it. And so he's, he's acknowledged that it's problematic to have uh, an office that has to work with the police so closely, be the ones to prosecute them. But firing him, Matt, and charging with homicide are two different things, obviously. He, he pre, I think given he has three other shootings, uh, that there's no question he should be fired, and there's documented racism in the Wauwatosa Police uh, Department and overt for many of its officers. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm, and we, we'll, we'll follow this up. That needs to be the next step. I mean, three people. It just, it's, it's just beyond the pale. And the history of the Wauwatosa Police Department. I mean, it's, it's well documented. And then also just uh, what you mentioned, it's very clear why this, this may be uh, a legal question. Uh, it, there, there was not a justification for this. And I think even, you know, Chisholm, it, it appears, and you could see the lawyer for the family was as much saying this, that uh, Chisholm wasn't trying to justify it. But look, that's the reality. We have a legal system that says that this is legal. And again, I want to point out, there were no cameras. We had no body cams. We had nothing to get an actual real, we had to go on this. Let's, I'll just say this cop who has I mean, Biskubic said he essentially is not trustworthy with what he says. And so sort of relying on that in that one video that they released. So anyways, we'll yeah, we're yeah. Gonna continue to DA follow Chism this. Chisholm said he had no choice but to look at what the three, two other officers and the officer himself said. That's, a, that's, that's the body cam thing. But also giving police the right to, whenever they're fearful, shoot someone down, that needs to end. Yep. And that's not even being proposed by, uh, I, I don't believe, in any of the reform legislation before in the legislature. Robert, before we get to our first guest here, real quick, 30 seconds on uh, the court ruling on absentee ballots. Well, there is a full court press to interfere with mail balloting during a pandemic. Uh, there are 40 lawsuits that uh, the Trump campaign themselves and the Republican National Committee are pursuing. Well, the state, uh, uh, the legislature, the Republicans just got the right from the Republican Supreme Court to represent the state rather than the attorney general and appeal the federal district court ruling by Judge Connolly uh, that extended the deadline that ballots can arrive so that everyone who votes for the election can have their vote counted. More sabotage of voting and democracy during a pandemic. It's another outrage. Uh, it doesn't mean they'll win, but now they get to represent all of us, not our attorney general. So, folks, just a reminder, we think we want to encourage uh, people to vote absentee, but don't don't plan on 
getting your ballot in and expecting that you can wait. Let's get your ballots in, uh, get your absentee ballots in now. With that though, we have our first guest and we need to welcome him. So we are fortunate to have our first guest. Uh, we have had a number of candidates running for a state legislature on our show the last month, and we're thrilled to have Jacob Malinowski with us. He's running in the Milwaukee suburban area. Jacob, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. Oh, well, it's great. So your campaign is extremely exciting. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, why you're running, and, and uh, about your district. Yeah, sure. So like you said, my name is Jacob Malinowski. I'm 22 years old. I'm running here in the 82nd district, which is the southwest suburbs of Milwaukee. So almost all of Franklin, all of Greendale, and a little bit of Greenfield by 43rd and Hope. Uh, I was super interested in politics for quite a long time, spent a lot of time working on campaigns. I, I, that's what I thought I was going to be doing professionally uh, after I graduated uh, this past May. Uh, but in the fall of 2019, there were three cases of youth suicide here in my district. There were two at Greenfield High School and one at Greendale High School, which is where I went to high school. Uh, that was the younger brother of a very good friend of mine. And that same day, my state rep missed six bipartisan votes on suicide prevention. Uh, they passed 98 to nothing. Uh, he's never explained why. In fact, to this day, he'll still deny missing those votes. I thought that was everything wrong with politics. So I asked all of my political friends around here in Greendale if they wanted to run. They all said no. Uh, and most of them asked me why I wasn't doing it. So I got in this race in the middle uh, of the pandemic while still graduating from college. Uh, and we've been focused on the issues that matter to working families around here. Uh, thank you, Jacob, for, uh, for sharing your story and your community story with us. I think it's really powerful and important for voters to see that people can be motivated to run for office out of uh, love for their community and a desire to keep their communities healthy and not out of some sort of sense of self-importance or self-interest. Um, and, and I think your personal story really uh, ex exemplifies that. So can you talk to me a little bit about what you would do around this issue of um, health and mental health specifically to sort of hit the ground running once you are um, elected? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And obviously the pandemic is the number one priority. It will be the number one priority of the legislature if Robin Voss ever lets us get back to work. Uh, and so I, I think tackling the pandemic in a science first, people first way to make sure that everyone stays healthy. Uh, and that includes physical health and mental health. So how can we address resources while we wait out the vaccine to make sure that Wisconsinites working families uh, don't go bankrupt uh, both uh, in their wallets and in their mental health. And then once I think we get through this pandemic, which I know we will, we could start talking about the issues that have plagued our state for the last 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, we're one of 10 states to not accept the free federal Medicaid expansion, which is free dollars sitting on the table, which would expand access to healthcare and make sure that people can stay healthy in our state. Uh, I think we need direct funding to mental health counselors and special education in our public schools. We need to tackle these sorts of issues from every angle possible. Uh, because every life we can save with each one of these dollars, which e with each of these hours we spend is worth it to me. And that's sort of my number one priority when getting into office. Obviously, the pandemic comes first, uh, but we will get through it. And we've got to talk about the issues uh, that we've seen no movement on for 10 years, as long as I've been alive, 22. Can you 
say a little bit more, Jacob, uh, about your vision for governing? I'm particularly interested about, it seems like we fall into a situation where uh, one side doesn't think uh, the government should be used for anything, that somehow all these problems solve their, themselves if you give enough tax cuts to the wealthiest and to the biggest corporations. But I feel like the Democrats sometimes are not nearly bold enough and don't actually address the underlying problems we're facing, like the one you identified. And I'm wondering your view on that. I know it's complicated and you have to get there to the legislature to know what to do, but it seems like the public is asking for effective democratic government that actually uh, deals with their problems, which means things like, is healthcare affordable at all, given that most people think you have a, that the government has a role, not only a role, a responsibility to guarantee everyone uh, can get healthcare no matter what. Yeah, Robert, I think that's a great question. And I could probably talk about this topic for three or four hours. So I'll try to condense it. But I think we can build a really broad, interesting, and we use the word people first, coalition, when we actually talk about the issues, talk about how we're going to solve them, and ignore the same partisan talking points, the same sort of rhetoric. So we've built a really interesting coalition here of working families, people like my father, who have a straight ballot voted Republican for their entire lives, but just want someone to actually go and do something for them. Uh, our coalition includes teachers and low-wage workers, folks who care about their schools. A lot of different people are involved in our coalition, and I think like you mentioned, Democrats need to take bolder steps. They're sort of sick of the same old, same old. I'd say my political hero is Bob LaFollette, and I think his method of governing, which is actually fighting for people first and sort of ignoring this two-party divide, is what we need to do here in our state. And with that, we've got to take a quick break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking to Jacob Malinowski, who is running for state assembly here in suburban Milwaukee area. Uh, Jacob was telling us a little bit about uh, why he's running and some of his key issues and his approach and his uh, appreciation for uh, uh, Bob LaFollett. Uh, Jacob, could you uh, tell us one thing that you think is uh, LaFollette-like in what you'd like to see that would... Uh, would do what you talk about, bring together this people first coalition that, uh, uh, that you would like to see as a priority uh, for you to lead when you win, you are in the legislature. Uh, besides my key attention to detail to my hair, uh, I think that there's sort of a lot of different ways we can tackle uh, this sort of progressive populist sort of coalition, right? I can talk to rural folks around here, people who I've got a pretty good section of a rural area of my district, uh, about prescription drug prices, right? It's the same thing I can talk to my neighbor here in the suburbs or folks in Greenfield who might live in more of an urban or exurban area. Uh, it's about finding issues that sort of everyone can get behind because our enemy on the high cost of prescription drugs or the high cost of insulin or epinephrine is not each other. It is not another political party. It is the big pharmaceutical companies who are exploiting folks around here right, who know you need that drug to survive and will charge you anything for it. And everyone can sort of get that, right? Because we all know somebody, whether it's ourselves, a family member, a neighbor, a colleague, who uses insulin and we can hear about the prices rising on the news. Or know someone who needs the name brand drug of uh, 
for their cancer medication. There's a neighbor on my street who needs something for her thyroid. She can't take the generic version. Uh, she is a MAGA-loving, wall-supporting woman, and we agree on the prescription drug because we are not each other's enemy on that. It's the folks who are exploiting us. My vision of government worries about people uh, who are being exploited by things with too much power. That can be corporations, that can be wealthy donors, uh, that can be almost anything, but it's about building the people first coalition. I think prescription drugs is a good issue to talk about that on. Jacob, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about your vision, your people first vision. Uh, let our listeners know before you go how, uh, if they want to help you out, how they can get involved in your campaign. No, and we, obviously this is sort of a group effort around here. A Democrat has not run for this seat since 2013. Uh, because uh, people like Scott Walker used to win my area 60%. Uh, the Democrats got more votes in the primary than the Republicans in August, Senator Baldwin ties this area, so we're seeing a lot of good movements. Uh, if you want to get involved, you can check us out on social media, uh, which is at electjacobwi, or visit my website, electjacob.com slash volunteer, and we'd love to have you. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for running, and thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yes, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Well, that is great. And with that, we are going to jump right into our next guest. We're really appreciative of Jessica Katzenmeyer joining us. Jessica is running again in a Milwaukee suburban seat, the 15th Assembly District. Jessica, thanks for joining us. Hi, uh, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Battleground Wisconsin. Thank you for having me on the show today. Oh, we're thrilled to have you, and we're yeah. absolutely ecstatic about the fact that your seat, we, you can win. You can win this year. Tell us more about yourself. Tell us why you're running and, and, and why you're going to win. Absolutely, we can win this year. And, you know, it's because of all the hard work that myself and my team has been putting into this campaign over the last 200, I think, 65 some days that I have been campaigning for right now. So yeah, we can absolutely win this race. So the reasons why I got into this race, so it's a personal story to me. So I'm 41 years old. Uh, last year, I nearly died from a staph infection in my lungs. I remember I was staying at a friend's place uh, the day after Father's Day back in June, and I collapsed on her floor. And I remember calling out to her, I said, call 911. I can't breathe. That was the last thing I remember. I fell into a coma. I woke up three days later at St. Luke's Hospital and found out I nearly died. Now that really hits you when you're you know, 40, you think you got a long life left ahead of you, and it really changes your perspective on things. I spent a lot of time in a hospital bed for about a week, and then in bed when I got out of the hospital, and it kind of kept coming to me, you know, get stronger, get better, 2020 is gonna be your year. You run for office. And what was really, what really hit home for me was the hospital bill. When I got the hospital bill, if I did not have health insurance, which thanks to the Affordable Care Act, I'm self-employed, I would have been stuck with an $80,000 health care bill to save my life. And I believe no one should ever have to worry about filing for bankruptcy, which is the number one cause of filing for bankruptcy in America is medical bills or going into debt over life-saving medical treatment. Number two reason is I've heard this from constituents all over my district that my opponent, he does not listen to them. 
they've tried calling him, they've tried emailing him, and they feel like they get this kind of robotic response if they get any response at all. And he just kind of seems just to toe the party lines of what Boss wants to do in the assembly. And that's one of the things I look to change when I am elected on November 3rd, is I'll be a representative for everyone. You know, I'm a Democrat, but it's our job as a Democrat to listen to Republicans and to listen to anybody in between. Even if we disagree with somebody, we try to find some common ground and then we work towards progress that, that way. So that's how I look at things in this district. Thanks, Jessica, for sharing uh, your personal story. And, and like I said, for, uh, for Jacob, uh, I, I'm always excited when people are motivated to run for office because of something that happened in their lives or in the community, someone that they love in the community's lives, um, because that means that you're in this for the right reason. Um, so you, you identified healthcare, which I love, as uh, one of your top motivators for running. So can you talk a little bit about um, what are your healthcare policy priorities that you would champion? In, in your uh, first term. Um, I know badge care expansion is going to be a big one, but so that and maybe is there something else that you're thinking about? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, we came up with a plan called what I like to call the four pillars of healthcare. So obviously, badger care expansion is probably the number one thing on my healthcare plan because there's so many people in the state who's working uh, one, two, three part-time jobs just to meet ends meet, you know, make ends meet, and they don't get healthcare coverage from their company that they're working for. So that's why we need to expand badger care to make sure we cover all these different classes of people so that they can have healthcare and make sure that their, their health needs are taken care of. Also, I would say mental health care is a big priority for me, especially being in a time of a pandemic right now, where most of us are spending a lot of time at home, more so than usual, because we don't have all the entertainment activities that we typically would. And we see that how that's taken out all on, on our daily lives. I, I feel like before I really got into this campaign, it's like all, all I do is go to work and go home. It's like, go to work, go home. And it's really a big issue in the state that's not talked about a lot. So that's one of my other pillars. Number three would be to legalize marijuana for medical purposes, because I believe that that offers us a less expensive route for than prescription drugs. And the, a couple of years ago, and the referendum, over 80% of Wisconsinites voted in favor of legalizing marijuana for medicinal purposes. And I think that the legalizing that would help also solve things like the opioid issue that we have going on here in West Dallas, among many other issues like, like decriminalizing marijuana too for uh, people who have minor drug offenses, like why do they need to be sitting in jail? And then number four reason is, or number four pillar, I should say, is definitely capping prescription drug costs so they do not increase any further. When I got out of the hospital, I got prescribed as a little Brihole inhaler because I have asthma, so it's a control inhaler. It's about the size of like my thumb and my index finger spread out. It retails for 425 a month. My car, I drive it to Toyota Siena. My car payment is $415 a month. That's a minivan. So this little thing, $425 a month. That's just insane. And there's no way I, you know, myself or anybody in my district could really afford that a month. It's, it's ridiculous. We need to fix this. It's outrageous. Robert, your question. Yeah, let me ask you a little more about health care. Most people are insured. We do have to really care about the uninsured. And 
the cost of co-pays deductibles so high, they're avoiding medical care. We did a state uh, survey with a national partner that showed half of Wisconsinites have skipped need medical care, almost half because of the cost. So do you want to do anything about that? I mean, we're po- proposing a Badger public option so people can uh, get like uh, no copay, no deductible insurance at a lower premium and not have to go through the big corporate insurance companies. So I want to see your take on that. No, I, I, I like that idea. I agree with that. I, I think that we do need to lower co-pays and stuff like that because when I was in the hospital, one of the things I heard a lot from the nurses that took care of me, and I would always talk about healthcare stuff with the nurses, is that people wait to the last minute to take care of themselves. They, they don't do the preventative care to prevent the big bill at the end of the day. And I think that having the, that could lower those co-pays and avoid the expensive costs at the end of the day. Uh, it's just like car maintenance. We do preventative car maintenance to prevent a major breakdown. Am I right? So I think it's the same thing with our own healthcare. And unfortunately, we have got to wrap up our show. Jessica, we are super appreciative of you joining us and sharing uh, your reason for running for office and some of your policies. Uh, Before we go, quick let our listeners know what they can do if they want to get involved. Oh, yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, You can go to www.justthenumber4assembly.com. We can always use donations. We can always use volunteers to make phone calls and text messages. That could be done anywhere in the state, wherever you are listening to this show from. That's the great thing about running a campaign in a virtual world, trying to find the positives in the situation that we are in today. And I want to say thank you again so much for having me on the show today. Well, we appreciate it. We're thrilled you're running and we got to roll. We want to thank you. We want to thank Jacob Melanowski. Thank our producer, Brian Woldridge, who makes it happen every week. We'll see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. 